2: Love Talk Radio.
3: Well, howdy, 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 everyone. Welcome to The Left of Straight Show. It is Friday, July 10th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and I hope you had a great week and are ready for even better weekend ahead, my friends. Thanks so much for tuning in to Left of Straight Show. If you missed last night, we had a lot of fun. Started out with our new mental health special correspondent, Jacob Talego, Give his very first Thursday mental health minute. Then my first interview last night with, was Magic for Humans star on Netflix, Justin Willman. He is an amazing magician and comedian. His magic is just out of this world. If you haven't seen the first three seasons of Magic for Humans on Netflix, binge it this weekend. You can thank me later. And then we finished up with author Britt East with his book, A Gay Man's Guide to Life. And great tips in there that he created went out last week. So it was a great show. If you missed it, be sure to check it out. You can go to your favorite podcast distributor like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Download the episode. Listen to it. If you liked it, please give it a five-star review. That way more people can find us. And then just hit the click a little subscribe button up there. And you'll know when anytime we have a new show posted, and you can decide if it's any of the interviews you want to listen to or not. In just a little bit tonight, we're going to bring The Fit, The Funny, and The Fabulous with Jake Dean Taylor, our special correspondent in fitness, starting it off with some great breathing techniques while working out. Then our buddy Tyler Mead from New York City, a fantastic comic. He also produces some great podcasts. He'll be on joining us, talking about his life in New York there. And then we're going to finish up the evening with the beautiful inside and out Miss Bianca Turner. She's an artist who immigrated to the U.S. from Romania, has an amazing story to tell and some beautiful art to share with us. So we'll be finishing up with that tonight, so you're not going to want to miss any of those. Before we jump into it, I do want to give a big shout out and congratulations to Jesse Tyler Ferguson and husband Justin Makita on their new baby boy born yesterday. They made the announcement in February and Beckett Mercer arrived Tuesday of this week. I also want to give a big shout out and thank to all my interns. You need to be checking out their videos. They've been killing it in studio and out. Next month, they're going to be premiering their own podcast which is part of their intern experience here. So be sure to follow them on social media. It's at left of straight radio on Instagram and Twitter and the Facebook page left of straight radio. And you can always follow me too at left of straight on Instagram and Twitter or Scott Fullerton on Facebook. Send me over a friend request. We're going to be back next week with five more all new episodes, 10 more great interviews Monday through Friday at 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Monday is Music Monday with Jay Knight, Travis Howard, and Joey Suarez. This is finishing up the week of pre-taped interviews while I was supposed to be on the big gay road trip to Palm Springs. But I am home, so listen to these last two pre-taped interviews, and we'll be back with all new next week, guys. So here we go. Let's go ahead and hand it over to Jake Taylor with our Friday Fitness Minute. Take it away, Jake.
1: Hey, Scott, and hey, everybody else. I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you guys so much for listening to this amazing podcast. I think it's doing wonderful things for the queer community, and as always, Black Lives Matter. Um, Clearly, this whole COVID thing is getting everybody a little bit riled up, especially here in my city of L.A., and I wanted to go ahead and take an opportunity today to discuss breathwork and why it's so important in exercise and even further, so important and de-escalating your anxiety. Now, typically breath work is used in meditation or in yoga, but a lot of people don't know that breath work is also used in resistance training and strength training as well. Now, there's a really, really great warm-up or cool-down that you can use before or after you exercise to lower your heart and activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is essentially the system put into place to keep your adrenal levels down, keep everything down so that you feel calm and your heart rate stays at a uh, functional speed and at, at, a, at a good speed, right? Because when we feel anxious, our heartbeat will like race and we'll feel hot, we'll get sweaty. All these really adverse things are going to happen. But the really awesome thing is by incorporating this breath work that we call crocodile breathing, we are really able to micromanage our body in a way that I'm not sure a lot of people understand. So let's go ahead and get into it. So crocodile breathing is the idea of taking four deep breaths in, I'm sorry, breathing in for a count of four, holding that breath for a count of two, exhaling that count of breaths for eight counts. So you breathe in through your nose, and as you're doing that, you count to four. Then once you hit four, you hold your breath for two, and then you exhale for eight. You want to do this for about a minute to two minutes. And what this is going to do is this is going to manually override your body so your body's going into all these different little panic attacks or you know sweat attacks or whatever your heart's racing you're feeling a little bit dizzy or feeling like you can't focus you are literally forcing your body to stop to think and to calm down and it's really cool It's like hitting the reset button on a robot now this is super 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 important because not only is anxiety very taxing on the body physically but also mentally and emotionally as well You know, you go through an anxiety attack, you're thinking about COVID, you're thinking about protests and police or, you know, whatever you're thinking about, and you feel like you're still out of control. And really honing in with this crocodile breathing really helps you to take a step back, sit down and refocus your thoughts and feel like you're more in control. So you can do this before a workout, especially if you're feeling really anxious and you feel like you don't know what you can do. and then. Furthermore, after you've done this really amazing workout, your heart rate's up, you're feeling sweaty, you might even feel a little bit nauseous because we've lost a little bit being out of the gym for so long, you can incorporate this crocodile breathing at the end to lower your heart rate, get your body back down to a normal temperature, and get you ready for the rest of the day, whether it's working from home, taking care of your kids, kissing your partner, going out on that cute date with that cute boy who you saw last week, and you're like, oh my God, you're so cute, and he was like, you too, and you didn't realize that you guys had a thing for each other, that guy, yeah. Okay, so that's crocodile breathing and we talked a little bit a little bit, excuse me, about anxiety. Okay. Now I'm gonna go ahead and I want to incorporate how important breathing is into resistance training and strength training by giving you a circuit and talking about the breathing that goes along with it, okay? So we've got four exercises that we're gonna do in the circuit, okay? The first exercise is a walkout. That's when you go into a squat position and then walk your hands out. So, that you're in a tall plank position as if you're ready to do a push up. Okay? Now, the breath count for that to make it the optimal breathing is you wanna breathe in as you go down into a squat. As you walk out, you wanna exhale. When you're at that push up position, you wanna inhale. And then as you press back into the squat, you wanna exhale. And then as you step up, you wanna inhale again. That's optimal. That's going to get you the most amount of oxygen going to your muscles that allow them to contract and fire like we want, okay? The second exercise is going to be a push-up into a downward dog position, okay? So you're going to push up. You're going to do a push-up, so you drop to the floor. When you're doing that, you want to inhale, and as you press back up, you exhale. So now you're in a tall plank position. Then what you want to do is press your butt up to the air, push your head to the ground, and you want to do that crocodile breathing of four, hold for two, exhale for eight. You want to do that three times, and then you want to go back into the push-up, and you want to do um, inhale on the way down, exhale on the way up. And you want to do that about, so 12 walkouts, 12 push-ups, and downward dogs, okay? This is going to keep our heart rate down while still utilizing our muscles and putting them under time under tension, which is going to fatigue them and help them to build and to get stronger, okay? Third exercise, we've got glute bridges. Okay, you're going to be on your back, your heels are going to be on the ground, your legs are going to be at 90 degrees in relation to your knee. And what you're going to do is you're going to exhale as you push your pelvis up to the sky, and then you want to squeeze for four seconds, and you want to inhale as you drop back down to the floor. And you want to do this breath work um, consistently, and then you want to do that for 15 repetitions. So you want to exhale as you go up, squeeze for four You can breathe in and breathe out like normal. That's fine. And then you want to inhale as you go down, okay? So that's number three. That's going to be great for your booty. And then finally, you want to do a curtsy lunge. Now, this is really great because this allows you to have a well-rounded leg experience, essentially, because we as humans work in three planes of motion, and the curtsy lunges are in the transverse plane, excuse me, which means that you're going in a rotational way. Long and short of it is this is a really great exercise to make sure that your hips are nice and strong and that you have well-balanced legs so you won't have any knee or hip injuries, okay? So what you're going to want to do with this fourth exercise is you want to swing your foot onto a diagonal behind you, and then you want to drop your, uh, the back knee to your front heel. So let's say you've got your left foot forward, right foot's moving. You'll be standing with both of your feet side by side. You're, you're going to take your left foot, I'm sorry, excuse me, your right foot, swing it around on a diagonal so that your toe is diagonal from your left heel. You're gonna drop your right knee down right behind your left heel and you're gonna come back up, okay? As you drop down, you're breathing in for a count of four. And as you come up, you're exhaling for a count of four. And then you're gonna place that foot right back by the side of your left foot and you're gonna do that for 12 reps each leg. It sounds a little complicated, I know, but it's amazing. Uh, for your legs and you're going to feel the burn and you're going to feel like a brand new person. Okay. So breath work, crocodile breathing, four uh, counts of inhale, two counts of holding your breath and eight counts of exhaling. Great for anxiety. It's also great pre and post-workout. And we've got that four exercise circuit, walkouts, pushups, glute bridges, and curtsy lunges. You're going to get all three planes of motion doing all four of those exercises. The rep scheme for those is 12, 12, 15, 12. Okay. You can even make a cute little jingle out of it. All right, guys. Thank you so much. That's all the time I have for today. I hope you guys stay safe out there and please, please, please always remember to breathe and to calm down. We've got this for here together. Okay. Thank you guys so much. All right.
3: Hey, thanks Jake. Appreciate that. And be sure to follow Jake on Instagram at Jake Dean Taylor. And you will be happy that you did. He posts some great workouts on there. He does Instagram Lives and just talks about his life. So follow Jake Dean Taylor at Instagram. All right, guys, let's go ahead and play a little music, get into our first interview here. On the other side, we'll be talking to comedian Tyler Mead. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
2: Till midnight, and your bestie's trying to call it a night. Fumbling her words, reaching for her Let me clear something up. This ain't no fairy tale, to play. Bucks tomorrow.
3: That was our buddy Tommy Atkins from the U.K. with his hilarious song, Cinderella's Had a Drink. Guys, we are back. I'm excited to get to know our next guest. He's a comedian in New York City. When he's not on stage, he's behind the scenes producing shows like Inside the Closet. He's worked for great people like Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson on Guys We Fucked, and we have to talk about that, at University of Berkeley. And believe it or not, he does work for a bidet company. Is there a comedy in that? We'll find out. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, the handsome and talented Mr. Tyler Mead. Tyler, how you doing, buddy?
0: Hello, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
3: I'm excited to have you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. We are... uh, still in our quarantine 2020 how are you holding up uh, is 2020 a wash yet or what's going on with you my friend
0: well we did hit like the halfway part as of today i think so bad
4: <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah,
0: just judging yeah. by the vast majority of the year not great uh, a lot of people myself included really thought this was going to be their year and then the year had other plans
3: yeah kind of <laughs> strange when that socks in the face like that well oh, new yeah.
0: yorker and
3: you have kind of traveled around a lot as of i i consider myself a vagabond and you've been through school and working and thing you've been from like california new orleans new york i've been kind of all those places talk about new york pandemic wise um have you been sheltered in place there you've been able to get the heck out of dodge or how are you coping with uh, just the logistics of it
0: So, I uh, have a Jewish mother, so the second (laughs) that it seemed like coronavirus was going to seem like a problem, I got a text being like, I think you should come home. And then about 30 minutes after that, I got a call that just said, you know what, I actually just got a bus ticket. Can you just come home today? It'll only be like two weeks. And I think that was (laughs) March 10th. So I've been back home in the suburbs of D.C. in Maryland for quite some time now, and uh, I don't know what New York is like anymore. I've only heard stories and seen very upsetting <laughs> Instagram photos.
3: There you go. I love it. Let's start with a little bit of background. Talk about that uh, family. Where did you grow up, and what kind of a kid were you?
0: So I <laughs> I am from an actual Real Housewives town, so I grew up, like, born and raised in Potomac, Maryland, which is, uh, to put it plainly, a cultural wasteland, and then to make things better, uh, both my parents are lawyers, and then as it turns out, my two older brothers both ended up being lawyers, and I ended up being the gay uh, artsy one in the family, so... You can imagine how that goes.
3: I bet that went over very, very well. Oh, my goodness. I love every bit of that. Well, talk about that. When uh, we've, We're finishing up Pride Month this last month here. When did you come out to yourself, and when did you kind of first find your LGBTQ community?
4: Oh,
0: that's actually a fun question. I don't think I've ever actually gotten to tell this story, just because people assume that I've been gay my whole life. <laughs> I guess. So I kind of, like, figured it out right after my senior year of high school just because I had like a confusing experience where I know a lot of gay men like really relate to some sort of pop diva and like that's kind of their awakening where it's like oh my god it's like Britney or Madonna or Lady Gaga and for me it was like Tegan and Sarah and Amy Winehouse so it's like I think I might (laughs) be gay but like a lesbian. Um, And then I realized, (laughs) no, I like dudes too. So it was just a slow process. And then in college through, funny enough, doing our college newspaper was where I first started to like hang out with gay people, but it was mostly women. So again, not really throwing out the lesbian idea entirely just yet.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. That is so cool. (laughs) Nice. Well, talk about the early years. I mean, you were—I uh, had my intern kind of g- grill you on interview notes here, telling me about a tennis career. Are we a tennis star? And you did get to a play with some a couple interesting people. Talk about your career as a tennis pro?
0: (laughs) Well, as I said, uh, I do have a Jewish mother, so athleticism was not in the gene pool at any point, so Star was very (laughs) far off. No, I I grew up playing tennis. My parents had a pretty solid rule of, like, if you're a kid in the house, you should have a physical activity. Not a bad idea. They also, like, actually let us pick. We weren't forced into doing lacrosse, so I just did tennis because both my parents played. Um, I played from, like, the time I was four or five and all the way through high school and <laughs> I think what you're after is uh, when I was in a sophomore in high school, I guess, uh, so this would have been like 2010, uh, we got a couple of new students in my clinic who just happened to be the Obama children.
3: Just happened to be, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know how that happens when you live in a D.C. suburb and Kellyanne Conway lives maybe 15 miles from you, regrettably.
3: Oh, you poor child, you poor child. Oh my goodness, I feel so sorry for you all of a sudden. Goodness gracious. It's okay. So that's we kind just don't drive by there. And is that like a whole, was this at a time there was a whole Secret Service involved, I guess? And uh, what was that like to have to maneuver around?
0: I mean, just a minimum of four unmarked black vans. Uh, my dad was always fond of saying, like, you know, one of those is just full of guns. And that really eases <laughs> your nerve on a tennis court during puberty. <laughs> I made them laugh a couple of times, but that <laughs> I was just glad they were laughing and not trying to physically tackle me to the ground.
3: Did you ever accidentally hit a bean ball right at them with the tennis
0: racket? Boom. <laughs> that would have been... No, a but they story did. The time I really made them laugh was when I hit another kid in the face. So not not one of them, oh, but like one of the expendable ones.
3: Good, good, good. As long, as long as you have priorities there. I do like that a lot. Very cool. And talk I want to keep on your parents for a little bit because I... I, I did a little bit of research on my own, and I've become fascinated with other people that do video and social media, because I have the face for radio. That's all there is to it, buddy. So um, I don't do the whole video thing. So I decided to look at your TikTok, and what are you guys doing with <laughs> your poor puppy? What the hell is happening to that poor puppy? Is this a therapy session I didn't know about, or what's going on, dude?
0: You've never you seen share people with clapping for dogs? Are you up on youth um, culture? Because I've been trying to. Um, not as no, violently
3: like, is that theme. Tell me what's going on there.
0: <laughs> you, you gather around your dog, and you clap, and most dogs get excited and feel like they've done something great, and our dog uh, had a mild panic attack and walked away. <laughs>
3: I love it. I mean, it looks like your dog has kind of a dependency issue as well, uh, from the oh, I'm so. seeing on the post. How did that come about? What are you doing to this poor puppy? And where did you get this Oh, puppy? it is Now what is I did. Is it uh,
0: it's my parents' dog, and my mother has made sure that the dog only loves her, uh, mainly through bribery <laughs> and food and poisoning her against us.
3: Oh, my goodness. I love this. It's so much fun. I just want to spend a week with your family. We've got to quarantine.
0: <laughs> Trust you invite me, me no over. you don't. <laughs> I've been here well, for over talk- 100 days.
3: 100 days in solitude. Oh, my goodness. All right, well, we'll send you a lifeline. I promise. Talk about this traveling. Like I said, I'm a big vagabond. I'm reading my notes, and you've been all over California, New Orleans, New York. Talk about what's your California experience? Sounds like college there. Any other time outside of college? Or what was your California days like?
0: So I went to school in New Orleans.
3: (laughs) Oh my goodness!
0: Um, Yeah, I went to Tulane University. Uh, I've been to California, but like as a child, so uh, I'm not. I think I might have fucked something up there. If you guys know it's about me going to California. Um, Well, I
3: saw something. What's that University of California Berkeley thing? That was that a separate thing? A joke? Was that a uh, work gig then? Not a school thing? I thought you went maybe to school there. I would just Did say I first. Say Berkeley?
0: I th- oh I um I went to Tulane, which is very oh, okay. much in New Orleans.
3: <laughs> very much in New Orleans. Last time I checked it was still in New Orleans.
0: I don't yeah, know if there it's hasn't moved, been a hurricane I, or a flood
3: recently, but I think it's still in New Orleans.
0: I mean, until the city thinks Tulane is staying right there. <laughs> yeah, we got nice. a lot well, of questions we'll about-, about that during my undergrad experience about uh like you know, the city is actively sinking into the sea and if you kids don't do something about it we are just fucked and it was kind of confusing because <laughs> i was a liberal arts major and i don't know i there's nothing in Kant that was going to help with this
3: nice i love it that's great just uh, put
0: it on put it on the art students to save the city i
3: like that yeah no very kidding. very cool <laughs> talk about your um Air experience there what's new orleans like it's the one place in the south i've not been actually i've not been to a lot of places in the south but i've been all over the other
0: 42 states but not the south
3: give me a reader's digest version of louisiana would you like dislike
0: well as someone who grew up as very much like a goody two shoes and didn't get up to any fun at all in high school uh new orleans is the best place on the planet (laughs) because as it turns out most of the bars are 18 and up uh, they can't sell you alcohol, but if you have alcohol, that's not their fault, which is <laughs> apparently a law. No one was really sure. They just loved to get us drunk. Uh, and I loved being drunk oh so much. Um, but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> this is where I started drinking. That was really great, uh, depending on who you ask. One of the weirdest cities in the United States, because it kind of isn't an American city, because it's so influenced by like the French and Spanish architecture is everywhere, And it's influenced by Haitian culture and Creole and the native culture, all kind of like colliding together. And there's even some German thrown in just because German workers would come through. So it's like a really interesting city. And again, coming from a cultural wasteland as I do, like getting somewhere that actually has this really rich history and like truth be told amazing food like that was one of the biggest appeals to new orleans like it was just so cool and getting to throw myself in as much as a college student who lives on campus in like the rich white neighborhood of new orleans can uh it was just a (laughs) lot of fun and like i loved being there if i had a negative about new orleans huh i i don't know i really had no complaints Uh, i just hope it doesn't sink there you go my
3: only experience with New Orleans is because I'm older than you, Tyler, is the Real World New Orleans with Danny.
0: I actually have been the, the Real World New Orleans.
3: There you go. We'll see. Danny Danny was my, in, my foray into New Orleans and and Rice. That's my only two. Uh, and a, little, a slight obsession with Sandra Bullock maybe living there at one time. That's all <laughs> I really know about New Orleans. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. I'm glad that you got to share a little bit of that experience with me. Did you not want to stay, or what was the impetus of leaving after college?
0: So I think there is a slight Peter Pan syndrome with New Orleans, just because if you're staying there, I feel like it would have been harder for me to, like, try at least to be more of an adult. Like, I know plenty of people who stayed and, like, are doing great. It is hard to be like, okay, I got to get serious about stuff while someone is handing out hurricanes, like, on a street corner. Um <laughs> Yeah, so also I knew I wanted to be in New York. Uh, both my brothers were already living in the city by the time that I was finishing college for what I wanted to do. I felt like, yeah, that's probably where I need to get to.
3: Well, there you go. And I'm sure you went to school for comedy and performance art, right? A lot So basically,
0: because <laughs> I didn't that's go to philosophy. school to get a job.
3: That's hilarious. I love it. Now, talk about these comedy roots of yours. What got you forming in comedy?
0: So that's interesting. I think a lot of gay comics actually talk about this. Like, for a very, very long time, I, like, loved comedy, but never really thought about doing it. The first movies I remember watching as a child, beyond, like, the Disney stuff and whatever my parents were like supposed to be showing a four-year-old. My (laughs) I was the youngest and my brothers are three and six years older than me and it's all boys. So they had kind of given up by the time I came along. So when I was like four (laughs) years old, we would be watching like young Frankenstein and Monty Python, like in our basement as a family. And I didn't understand most of it, but I still like loved it. And then what really did it was I went away to summer camp one year and my oldest brother (laughs) as Jews do. Uh, We got to come back, which was nice. And (laughs) my oldest brother lent me his iPod at the time, which I didn't know how to work because it was brand new technology. So I just put it on shuffle. And eventually it got me to a Mitch Hedberg album. Uh, And I listened to all of that over and over and over again at age eight. And then I would go around (laughs) this Jewish summer camp talking about how much I loved heroin, quoting it. And everyone was kind of like, please don't say this in front of the head staff, but please tell my <laughs> 16-year-old counselor friend what you just said.
4: Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that.
0: and then just growing yeah. up, I would always watch stand-up, loved people like Natasha Leggero and Chelsea Peretti, just anyone who was, like, kind of living this ridiculous fantasy on stage, which uh, shocker that now I, like, also love drag, but it's just so much fun. And then when I got to New York, I was only hanging out with comedians, and I'd taken a class on comedy in college, And after a while, I was like, oh, I only hang out at comedy bars, and the people I'm hanging out with are doing comedy. It's kind of weird that I'm the one just hanging around. Maybe I should do comedy.
3: (laughs) So did you always go to that step of wanting to be on stage, or did you think at first maybe you'd be a comedy writer? What do you think you got your writing chops for your material?
0: So that actually comes from... Uh, My journalism background, funny enough, I always did entertainment stuff. Uh, I worked on my high school paper. And then when I got to college, I had this great editor, this guy named Charles Brometko. He lives in Brooklyn and he's a huge film critic. I'm super jealous of everything he does. But um, we had this weekly anonymous column called The Airing of Grievances, where you just like wrote about a complaint about something on campus, kind of. And it was like a chance to try and be funny. And as a freshman, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I wish I could do that. And then my editor was basically like, well, no one agreed to do it. So you are going to do that this week. And I started writing that <laughs> all the time. And like, it was lucky that I had watched so much stand up and like watched so much TV because I knew basic stuff kind of set up punchline and like rule of three is like basic joke structure stuff. And then my senior year I took a class called women in comedy that really got into like joke structure and like breaking down how to write material. And then just like being around comedy as much, it just, kind of all at once pushed me away from, like, well, you're writing all these jokes, you want to get a writing job for television, no one's going to just read a script that you give them, because who cares? <laughs> I might as well be like, oh, if I can write the shit, I can say it on stage. So that's kind of what it was. It was just like, well, I keep writing shit that no one will read, so I'll just yell it at them.
3: So the, what was your first experience on stage? Where did you first perform, and what was that like?
0: So there are kind of two instances on this case, because there was the class I took in college where – as our final, we had to do stand-up, and somehow I agreed to do 10 minutes of awful material to a room full of drunk college kids <laughs> who would laugh at anything. And that does not count, because if you did well at your first time doing stand-up, that's not real. It might as well have been, like, a dream. And then I went <laughs> to New York, and I asked a comic who I'd, I had gone to her show every week, amazing comedian Lillian Devane. She used to do the show Hush Money in the East Village with Mehran Kigani, and it was my favorite show to go to. And one day I very sheepishly, like, DM'd her, because she was always nice to me at the show. I was just like, what? where's an open mic? And she was like, oh, you sweet, poor creature. Uh, go to Alligator <laughs> Lounge. And if anyone is listening and wants to go to their first open mic, first of all, don't. And second of all, especially <laughs> don't go to Alligator Lounge. Um, it's like a horrible, not like the worst, like I got the, a couple of chuckles, but just like, so clearly no one in there knew who I was, was not going to listen to what I had to say. And it was also awful, like awful, awful material. And so I did it again a week later and then was like, nope, this is too hard. And then a couple months later, when I was working for Corinne and Christina, I met a couple of other comedians and they were like, why don't we take you to an open mic? So, you're not sitting by yourself and agonizing over it. I was like, that's way better. And it was.
3: There you go. I like it. It's safe to travel in numbers. Very. And what was your first set that you feel kind of killed it that you were most proud of?
0: Oh, first, uh, I don't know. Um, it wasn't like an exact moment, I guess. Basically, like on the one year anniversary of me doing comedy, I went to the bar I. Do most of my open mics at uh, it's called the creek in the cave in long island city it's a wonderful establishment where me and a bunch of other wannabe comics hang out in a basement and get drunk together i don't know something just kind of like click where i was on stage and i was really comfortable and i was like working with the audience and at an open mic the audience is very much in quotes because it's just the other comics who are pissed off that you're on stage and they're not because they have to wait their turn. And <laughs> I don't know. So then just clicked. Like I was walking around, I was talking to most of the people there. Like I could sit down and have a conversation with anyone else. Oh, I'm kind of in it now. Like people actually will listen to me. Nice. I think part. I think a big part of it is just sticking around long enough that like people understand that you're not going to quit after three tries and they can actually take you seriously because you're going to be around, so they might as well, like, get used to it.
3: Right, right. Do you have any type of a tone or a point of view that your comedy kind of stems from, or is it just all situational, whatever is in your life at the time?
0: I mean, my comedy is definitely painted in, like, broad strokes by being Jewish and being gay and coming from a pretty intense type A family. I like to laugh at stuff you're not supposed to. I've already made one Holocaust joke on your nice show that I hope I don't get yelled at for again. I will remind people that I am Jewish. I cannot say it enough. It turns out I do say it way too much because I've had friends tell me so. I don't know. There's something, there's always been something very funny to me about like <laughs> mean women. So Joan Rivers, Catherine Ryan, Natasha Legere, like anyone who can like take that very pointed tone and like go after someone, but so well that like it makes everyone laugh. Like that's what I love. I want to find like the rudest thing you can say that you still get away with without getting hit. Cause that's how I got through high school making comments that were funny enough that I didn't get hit in the face. So I don't know. I think, I mean, part of it is definitely leaning in on the gay thing and playing with that expectation. The audience has of like, Ooh, a bitchy gay guy. And it's like, Oh, don't worry. I'm much worse than bitchy. <laughs> I like it. I love that.
3: I can't wait to come see you. Talk about <laughs> your uh, meeting with Colleen and how your high class comedy came together.
0: Oh, Colleen Genevieve, my uh, comedy wife. Um, So we actually met while working at the same event. We worked for an event called Guys We Fest, which is Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson's philanthropy event. They threw it uh, for their podcast, Guys We Fucked. uh, And we were both assigned to the same booth handing out raffle tickets. She was actually one of the comics I was talking about who was like, we should go to a mic together one day. And at the time, she lived in... Rhode Island and we like really hit it off and we traded phone numbers and this was in like August of 2018 and in December after not hearing from her at all I get a text being like hey babe like I'm moving to New York right now like let's be best friends and it was like okay. And then uh, I had only been doing comedy for like three months. She'd been doing it for two years. We kept going. uh, And eventually, like, I actually felt comfortable enough doing stand-up that we were like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, everyone else started a rinky-dink little show. Let's have the best rinky-dink little show. Uh, And we've gotten to do it a grand total of three times. And then corona hit. And uh, really, fuck that for us. One day, high-class comedy will return. And when it does, come to (laughs) S&S Bar.
3: (laughs) And how do you guys – what is the show exactly? Do you guys each do your own sets? Do you kind of play off each other? Is it a duo-ting, or what are you guys doing?
0: So we are, like, very much – I like to think classic comedy people, if that makes sense. Like, neither of us are very alt. Like, we get up and we tell jokes. Um, right. And then what's nice is we have this really, like, almost Nichols and May. Oh, that is the most self aggrandizing thing I've ever said. But we have a really good dynamic as friends. I tend to, pun intended, play the straight man a little bit and Colleen kind of is very capable of hamming up like the kind of messy fun persona and together it like really works. She brings my energy way up. She brings the audience's energy way up and I am good at throwing in a little like zinger and playing off it. And so we have a lot of fun when we host together because it's just off the cuff. We kind of, we obviously prepare. We don't want to be too, like, flying by the wheel of our seats. For the most part, if we're just chatting on stage, it is just us chatting. And then we'll each do a set. We take a lot of pride in the lineup that we do cast. It was pointed out to me that we are yet to have a straight white guy perform at our show, which I think is very (laughs) funny and also was not intentional. One day we will even let a straight white man perform on our show. And when that day comes, we will be canceled. But <laughs> I don't know. It's Jimmy, just a lot Jimmy of fun. Jimmy Kimmel
1: that shit
3: and just keep trying to present one and just ran out of time. Just Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel the shit out of that thing. And we're going to have finally our first straight white comedian. Oh, sorry, we ran out of time. Damn it. <laughs> Very, very cool. I like that. Talk about how um this gig came about with inside the closet. Matteo Lane Emma Wilman, both hilarious in and of their own right. I've been mean, a huge tale. I just wanted to take me around Italy and feed me all day long.
0: but uh, <laughs> tell me how
3: this gig came about.
0: I graduated college in twenty seventeen in like May. Uh, moved home for a few months because that's what you do when you studied philosophy. (laughs) And after a little while, I was not so much, asked but told that I would be working at uh, my dad's law firm because he thought that was a good <laughs> way to get me interested in applying to law school and it really backfired because I just told everyone in his office that he was hitting me <laughs> and yeah they still aren't sure what's the truth and I will not clear it up. Oh, um, I started getting really into podcasts while this was going on because I needed some sort of escape from my own family and I kind of Stumbled across Emma Mateo's podcast, which at the time had only done like three or four episodes, maybe. And I had remember seeing Mateo on Girl Coat my freshman year of college and being like, huh, I had never been able to name a gay comedian at the time. Like, I just didn't know any. I'd never really seen one on TV. And I was like, that's cool. And then I saw something about him and the podcast, and I was like, oh, my God, I remember that guy. And I looked Emma up, and she is one of the best joke writers I've ever seen. Like, every time I've gone to see her live, I'm just dying, because she's so funny and so good at, like, really getting a punchline in that, like, always kills they they had done a podcast episode where they were kind of talking about like sex stuff as uh they tend to do and (laughs) emma had a very specific question which was um when you have an erection how do you pee because isn't all of the cum blocking the pee and there was kind of like a (laughs) short conversation where it was like what the fuck are you talking about and then (laughs) it kind of came out that she was like well when a guy is hard doesn't isn't it because his dick is full of cum? No, <laughs> it's not a water bottle. Um, and I tweeted them, I tweeted Emma, and I was like, this episode was so funny. You guys should get, like, a sexual health expert on, and you should ask them every question that you've ever had, because this is hilarious. And Emma was like, that's a really good idea. And I kind of joked back, and I was like... I have lots of good ideas and can also carry coffee. Let me be your intern. And they just kind of said, sure. And then I was working I for them. That. And I got, yeah, and I got a call. I had a call with Emma to set it up where she was like, just making sure. And I was kind of going over some of the ideas I had. I was You know, like we can talk about sexual health. And I mean, with a conversation like that, we can talk about PrEP. And like, I bet there are sponsors that we could get, considering that you guys are gay comedians, especially. And one of the ones that at the time in 2017, I like kind of suggested uh, was a company called pure for men. Uh, and if you guys are listening, you should still sponsor us. And basically they sell a supplement that helps people prepare to bottom by making them like way more regular and kind of keeping everything more packed. Sorry, I'm talking about poop. I don't know how to explain it. And we were talking <laughs> we're on the phone about this. And I was like, I hit. bet if we, yeah, I was like, I bet if we reach out, they would do something. Cause at the time they were sending a bottle to like any drag queen who, so much as mentioned the name sounded a little distracted on the phone. She's like, you know, Tyler, I have to say, like, I looked this up and I'm, I'm mostly seeing hardcore porn. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what did you type? And she was like, you said pure anal. And I was like, no, pure for men. She was like, Oh, that really changed the, the search results. And that was my <laughs> first conversation with Emma. It was great. I love
3: that. Oh my <laughs> so goodness. Much. That is awesome. So yeah, I've been working
0: for them for almost three years. Uh, they are two of like the nicest people I know. Um, What's really nice is being in the comedy Scene a little bit like I am still yet To hear anyone say anything bad About either of them just because they're Very nice and they show up to stuff On time and in the entertainment World that's huge and I've tried to like hold Myself to that same standard and Just it does help like just to be A kind person who actually Wants to be part of it
3: You know I've really heard that in all my interviews I've been doing this for five years now and I think The people that do just that They're, they're actually nice people they're not dicks, they show up on time, they're uh, rather pleasant when they're there, everyone has a bad day, but they seem, their career seems to go a lot better than others, let's put it that way. And I just well, think people it's, like it's you. They want hard you to, to succeed, do. right? It's not that hard to do either, you, really. I don't yeah. think. I don't know. Just me. I kind of
0: like being nice to people.
3: There you go. And you've had, I, I listened to their shows from time to time, and I saw that you were on a couple months ago when you had a little Twitter fiasco. So you'd be part of the uh, entertainment there and everything. When. Uh, what kind of material do you bring to them normally? Do you as, do you give them suggestions and everything? Are you pretty much running the boards? Or what's what's your job kind of morphed into in these three years as a producer? Uh,
0: yeah, so that's actually because I did start as an intern and just slowly, like, took over more and more responsibilities and was like, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. Please let me do this. And eventually they were like, <laughs> it's not fair to call you an intern because you do a lot of the work. But, yeah, uh, like, all the social media stuff, we usually book their friends as guests so like it's very easy most of the time to like have a friend on and them to have like a very normal conversation but every once in a while i will suggest someone or reach out or they'll kind of find someone through a friend of a friend or through their agent and research 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 and interview prep are again from a journalism background like very easy to me um i still really love doing it um like, we had uh, Javier Munoz, who replaced Alexander Hamilton, or er, replaced um, Lin-Manuel Miranda Lin-Manuel. as Alexander Hamilton. Uh, for He was the next Hamilton after him. And we had him as a guest one night, and he was, like, wonderful. And uh, it was actually really fun to, like, research him, because he's also a huge AIDS activist. Just has all these great stories. I don't know. Like, just, I, I was, like, so impressed by him. And I'm not much of a Broadway person. I knew he was obviously talented if he was in Hamilton, but I was just like, oh, man, like, you're super talented and cool. This was super fun. And, uh, of course, getting to, like, see him on stage and, like, talking and engaging with them is always fun. Uh, So, yeah, just basically I do whatever needs to be done, and then I try to make it happen as quickly as possible.
3: Very cool. Now, do you write for other comedians ever? Have you thought about doing that? Or are you pretty much just write for yourself at this point?
0: The nice thing about comedy is that it's very often collaborative, even if it's not necessarily intentional. I did have a good friend of mine, Wendy Starling, give me a $20 bill because she was like, I've been doing the joke that you said in front of me, in front of audiences, and I keep getting paid, so here. Uh, and so that's fun. But like, truth be told, it's just like when you are hanging out with, with other comedians, the way you talk is a little different than with a non-comedian just because you know with non-comedians you do have to be a little bit more respectful of boundaries and not maybe yell whatever's on your mind (laughs) 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 which i have had to cope with since being home uh but sometimes (laughs) it's just like What's really nice is sometimes when you're just, like, letting loose and, like, saying whatever, it is the best way to brainstorm jokes because you'll be talking with your friends and they'll say something funny, and you're just kind of like, ooh, I can play with that. I mean, I I got really lucky. One of my favorite jokes, actually, came from talking to this guy, Ryan Long, super funny comedian uh, at a bar in the West Village, where he was just like, I don't even remember what it was he said exactly, but he was just like, yeah. Like, he made a really insightful point about... Gay guys and like how they can get away with like treating each other horribly and like being overly sexual. And it's like when you guys do it, it's like empowering and great. And when straight dudes do it, uh, we're monsters because it, it's a different power dynamic, men and women, I understand. But I was like, that's really funny. Can I like steal that? And he's like, well, I sure as shit can't say it on stage. So yeah, buddy.
3: Hilarious! Very, very cool. Well, what's your hopes to get back um when we get to get out there again? Do you like to travel, or do you like to do you like being based in New York City? Because there's so much opportunity just in New York alone. Do you have a goal to ever kind of get out there and take your comedy on the road? or you and Colleen want to do a road
0: trip yourself? That would be like the dream. I so when COVID hit. I have been doing comedy for a little over, like, a year and a half, maybe not even. So I am still, like, very new in the world of comedy. Uh, And this has definitely set me – like, that's the thing. My two-year anniversary is coming up in August, so I'm just kind of like, I don't know if this counts as two years, but (laughs) – I mean, yeah, I, I would love to go wherever they'll have me. Uh, but first, I think I should uh, get some better jokes.
3: Oh, you think? Huh? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I, yeah. I'm enjoying talking about this. I, I have to talk just about working at a bidet company because I didn't even know they installed bidets anymore. So talk oh, to yeah. me how this job even came about
0: and what so, comedy
3: can you mine from it, if any?
0: Being a young gay in New York, I happen to meet many other gays in New York, some of whom have real jobs. And uh, one of my friends <laughs> was gracious enough to be like, you still can't find work? And I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, it turns out it's very hard when you have no skills. And he was like, well, I've seen your Twitter. You can respond to Facebook com comments and instagram comments for my company so long as you don't do anything stupid and so i started doing that in like december and i have since become like a customer support agent and there is plenty to be mined because man oh man do people not understand what a bidet is the number one question i answer is what do i do when it's wet afterwards and the answer is to dry it I answer that question 400 times a day.
3: Now, did he know you were a comedy writer before he set you up in a position to respond to? He did, and that was his
0: fault. And I'm not going to say the name of the (laughs) the company. They can't get mad.
3: (laughs) That is the best part of the whole thing, that he put a uh, comedian in charge of that.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. And you very, know, sometimes very... we're always told, like, kill these customers with kindness. And sometimes I'm just like, well, I don't know if I can do that. So I'll just start writing, like Nicole Byer might. By, and oh, what a treat! How nice. <laughs> just whatever, whatever sounds funny in my head, of just like someone else replying. I'm like, sure, let's go with that. Tends to work.
3: Tyler Mead, you are so much fun. You have to come on for like <laughs> a regular shtick. I need to have you on to make me laugh for every other week or so. That'd be amazing. I would love to. <laughs> there you go. I'll do
0: anything.
3: We'll have Talking with Tyler on Thursdays. I'll give you your own segment. You have uh, 10 minutes every week. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I'm going to be
0: a radio star.
3: Oh please you are a star like already. Glazer. <laughs> you you are the man the myth behind the legends that are in the closet <laughs> so, so you're good <laughs> Well, my friend, we need to wrap this up relatively soon here. Let everyone know where they can find you on Instagram and social media and your next big gig in your head where you're going to be playing at.
0: So you can find me on all social media at Mead by Mead. That's my last name, M-E-A-D by Mead. Uh, It's really easy to spell. Just don't add an E to the end. And then, ooh, uh, if it's ever safe to do comedy again, you will see me at every open mic in New York because I will never again decide that I'm too tired to go to comedy uh, because, Jesus Christ, I need to get out of my fucking house.
2: <laughs> <Ooh>.
0: <laughs> I like it.
2: very. You'll very see me good. in
0: Queens. You'll see me in Brooklyn. You won't see me in Manhattan, because those got money.
2: Tyler Mead, thanks for
3: being on the Left of Straight show today. I appreciate you immensely, my friend. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. All right,
3: well, we'll stand the line for me, guys. We're going to play a little music here, and I'll be back on the other side. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio
2: network we
3: We are back That was Z Machine with Honeydew If you missed my interview with Z Go ahead and check out the Leftist Trade Show archives We talked to him on a musical Monday Just about two weeks ago here Guys, I'm so excited to have my next guest on In a world right now that needs as much color and inspiration as we can get This LA-based artist Bianca Turner Is making a mark as a maverick of abstract color And soothing inspiration. Originally from Romania, the self-taught and internationally featured artist has been steadily rising up to the top of the art scene. She's currently in Los Angeles, and her work's been featured in prestigious expositions around Europe and Asia and major publications such as British Vogue and London Lux. Currently riding the corona wave with all of us, please welcome the internationally recognized artist and local Los Angelino, Ms. Bianca Turner. Bianca, how are you?
5: Hi, thank you. I'm well. I'm doing well. How are you?
3: I am good. Thanks so much for calling in. We're we're in strange times, indeed. You're in Los Angeles, and you guys are back into the thick of things again. How have you been holding up out yes. there? Okay.
5: Um. Yes, I'm okay. Um. I lost count of the days um, since I started this <laughs> lockdown, and um, I'm just painting every day. <laughs> So there but you go. All good so far, thank you.
3: Well, I guess what will be good art for us eventually is just uh, passing the time for you right now because, yeah, like you said, can't even leave the house too much, right? That's horrible.
5: Exactly. Yes, yeah. but um, you know, sometimes for us, the artists, um, this is uh, not something different. <laughs> we usually <laughs> like to paint all day and don't leave the house. <laughs>
3: There, that's what my writer friends say. I have lots of writers on the show, and they say, this is all I do anyway, except sometimes I do it at a panera. But other than
5: that, I'm by myself exactly. writing all the time. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so um, I I
3: can
5: say that I'm an artist in a residence, you know?
3: <laughs> there you go. There you go. I like it. A nice little title. Oh, fantastic. Well, let's start with a little personal back history. Talk to me about growing up in Romania and what was your influence there, and what kind of a kid were you back there?
5: Uh, well, I was a very good kid. I mean, uh, <laughs> growing up in yeah. Romania, it was tough, because I grew up uh, during the communist regime. So if you mm. were not a good kid, you were going to jail. <laughs> so <laughs>
4: oh,
5: I, didn't right. have, uh, I didn't have the choice of not being a good kid. Kid. so I didn't have the freedom of speech, um, of being allowed to think, of knowing who I am or who I was um, or whom I wanted to be, everything from how I talked, dressed, had my hair done, what I ate, um, mm. because we didn't really much, we didn't have much food, um, went to sleep when to read, what to read, what not to read. And wow. and so on, was under the strict, strict supervision of the Communist Party. So I can say that I grew up in a sort of a jail until I was 18 years old. Then um, in my high school, we started the anti-communist revolution, which took the streets of my city, Timisoara, which is the second biggest city in Romania, and Hmm. it spread out throughout the entire Eastern Europe uh, to the entire Eastern European bloc. So not only to the entire Romania, but to the entire Eastern European bloc. So I can say that I'm very proud that at least I did something good in my youth. Oh, (laughs) Um, you should be
3: proud. That's amazing.
5: Yeah, so it was a bloody revolution, though. So only in Romania was a bloody revolution. The rest of the um, communist countries was a velvet revolution. And seeing how people in my country were fighting for a better life but were killed by the communist regime left painful memories in my mind. Um, Mm -hmm. And I will never forget those memories. And they are reflected sometimes in my dark, gray, gloomy, sad art. I usually make very colorful art. But when I scream my pain from my soul uh, regarding my childhood, you can see it in in my pieces that I paint about. Um, my childhood and adolescence and they are related to this political regime that I grew up in and even the titles, I don't do metaphorical titles or uh, I just scream my pain in the titles. I grew up in communist. This is how communist was and I even have pains right. on my canvases. So it, it was very, very painful. Um, uh, my grandfather was in a communist jail I never met him, he died there So it, it, it was just mm. Extremely painful
3: Oh I imagine, goodness, I'm so glad you were able to escape that Were there any artists In your family or how did you even Come to know art? Were you just looking through the Country art, whatever they showed you Or how did art come into your life?
5: Well, um, both of my Parents had artistic Inclinations, but due To the, such a strict regime political regime in the country they were not allowed to express themselves so my father loved to paint and he did it as a hobby but he was uh, working in a medical field and my mother was working in an educational system in the country so she had an inclination to be a very good writer and now she's still am um, i 'm pushing her to pursue her dream to write a book, and now she 's still not decided that she wants to go into that path, but being retired, she is probably going to finish writing her book. Unfortunately, my father passed away, so he couldn 't pursue his mm-hmm. dream to uh, to paint after he retired but he he was painting and his time off, so those were their hobbies however in uh, in the country, arts were not encouraged. And so in school, people were not doing visual arts because freedom of expression, as I said, was was not allowed. You know, and doing arts, this is like something that you can express yourself. You can do what it's in your soul, in your mind, and that that was not allowed. Probably the only art that was done was reproducing the same portrait of the communist party leader, uh, leader um, mm. over and over again you know so right. we didn't have artists in the country at that time
3: and did you start art before so. high school were you kind of following your dad's footsteps and trying it or do you wait entirely until after uh, you guys had created your revolution
5: Oh no as i said i didn't um didn't have any artistic inclinations because i was not allowed to i was actually even um pushed onto directions like uh, economy or something to do with a manual job because that that was the direction where the country was going so everyone had to have a job as a, working in a factory or, you know, to be a blue-collar worker or possibly white-collar worker. So obviously I wanted to be a white-collar worker, so I went to business school because that was giving me the freedom to escape the country. Mm. A business school, you know, gives you the opportunity to have a diversity in your career. You can be an accountant, you can work as a manager, you can do different things. And so I had to go to business school thinking that possibly in the future, I might get a job in another country and I can escape. So when I was in high school, I was getting prepared for to become an economist and I also prepare myself to have blue collar job which in my case I picked biochemistry to work in a lab so Mm. um, that's the reason why I am actually an economist I have a degree in economy and then I pursue a career in biology (laughs) you know
3: oh my goodness
5: that's an yeah, overachiever
3: so, right there. Look at that. Doing all that and then becoming just a magnificent artist that you are. Did you ever take any schooling for art or was all the other, and you, you're totally self-taught?
5: I'm totally self-taught because my adolescence, I didn't have a choice and a chance to make a choice for myself. It was pretty mm-hmm. much the Communist Party made a choice for me. Okay, you're going to do this in life. So uh, it wasn't even right. my family. It was like you have the um, inclination to become a biochemist and work in a lab or go to the economy school. So once they decided that for me, how would you like to, you know, have <laughs> a party deciding <laughs> your life for you, right? Ooh. Right.
2: Um,
5: so when they decided that for me, I was like, <laughs> okay. So I I did my bachelor's degree and my master's degree in economics and then the situation started to change in Europe and then European Union was formed, the communist regime fell in all the, the Eastern European bloc and then everything went into this like transition and no one knew what was happening and then all of the sudden master's degree was not enough so we had to go and get a PhD
2: So you oh, can imagine no. I'm like
5: here I am Hating economics, but being very good at it because I was a good kid. I always had to study. I always had to be like an A student. So I'm going right. and pursuing my Ph.D. degree in economics. And um, then I started in Romania, and I graduated here. And after that, I was like, I'm not happy with business school. I'm not happy with a career working for Corporate America. Let me go and continue my biochemistry studies. And I ended up doing marine biology and oceanography here. And um, then when I realized that it's a lot of bureaucracy and uh, work in the corporate world, and I cannot become that explorer that you see at National Geographic, Television and BBC (laughs) that goes to, you know, Amazonia and discovers some new frog. I was like, oh, so I'll still end up working for some pharma company and be in a corporate (laughs) world. I don't like that. And uh, it was too late in my life to go and take art. Classes. I wasn't even thinking about art. I was just doing art as a hobby. That was my way of relaxing. You know, some people okay. go and do yoga and Pilates and they. Meditate and they try to do different forms of, you know, working out and finding something to relax them. And I didn't even realize that this was my form of meditation. And although I didn't have a lot of free time because I was going, I was always going to school for so many years in my life, I went to school and I was working right. also. But in my Free time, even was an hour a day. I was always painting. And I started painting in 2002 here in United States as a, okay. just as a hobby. And since 2002, I found it very relaxing. And then uh, um, I started doing mandalas and drawing. And then I found myself during all these boring meetings, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you have to talk about all this right. boring economics and stuff. And well, it's not fun right, to talk well, most about most people, are people.
3: figures. You were making art.
2: <laughs>
5: yeah, and I started to do those. And I was just looking yesterday in one of my notebooks from the time when I was working. I shouldn't mention the company
2: <laughs> in case they would <laughs> hear me. But uh,
5: in one of the meetings, I was writing, this meeting is pointless. And I had six pages of doodling. And I was, like, making paintings with everyone who was in the meeting, you know, different characters and what was happening. <laughs> it oh, that's
2: was amazing. more like
5: a cartoon
2: you know <laughs> right oh so, i love that
5: though in fact my boss said if you do what you like in life you won't work one hour in your life and i was thinking what is he talking about i'm here i'm standing here i'm wasting my time at work firing people which i hate to do I have to manage people. I have to fire them. I have to, you know, the company was going through all this. And we're going to fire 20% of the company. We're gonna do So I'm like, I don't like this. Right. I'm, I'm good to people. I love people. And it's like, okay, I didn't understand. That got stuck in my mind for over a year. If you like what you do, you won't work one hour in your life. And then all of a sudden it hit. that's what I like to do. So I made a decision to make the change.
3: That's amazing. Do you think do you think it took you so long because you were so ingrained of your Romanian lifestyle where you had to do all this that even though you were in the US you didn't feel free to do something you loved, you still kind of felt that pressure to do what was expected? Why do you think you didn't break away earlier?
5: You are absolutely right. Uh, Part of me was that responsibility that was instilled in me. Um, Mark's words were constantly coming in my mind. The work makes a person to be noble. And I was like, uh, just going to work 9 to 5 is going to make me be a noble person. And I realized, no, right now I'm working 24 hours a day. Well, of course, I sleep, but I'm saying like what I give out from my soul, it's 24 hours of work. I am fully giving out 100% of my soul to this job as an artist versus... When I was working in a corporate America, I couldn't. My soul, my passion was not there. I was barely giving 75% of me to that work, and I was trying, but I couldn't give more because my passion was not there. I was going to work 8, 10 hours, 16 hours a day sometimes, but I was not there, you know. um, is that expression, be here now, I was never there. So it's like... No, no, this communist slogan is not going to work for me. And I said, I have to change it. And I think about what's better for me to waste my life and everything for this paycheck that comes every two weeks or to risk and take the risk and see if I can make it. And um, I said, I have to take the risk.
4: There you go.
5: You know, um, then I had a very, very hard year in 2000 and between 2011 and 2014, I lost my father, my grandparents. And in the same time, I have to say that those were the people that maybe would have not understood me taking this risk. They were always like, you know, you have to be responsible. You have to be. So once I lost them, I was very, um, you know, depressed. I was going through mourning, I was going through right. um, a, a lot of depression and normal trauma that someone goes through when you lose so many people in a, in a family. But at the same time, after I went through this mourning time, I felt like liberated because I said, okay, now I, I will just do what <laughs> I want to do in life, you know. And, Good for you. And uh, I a boss helped me, he said, Bianca, you don't like doing what you are doing. Why don't you pursue art and just make it? And um, I was like, wow, if even my boss tells me that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay. So I took a leave of absence with his approval and um, still wanted to be sure that I can go back to something in case I'm I'm not going to make it, in case it's not going to happen. So um, I was lucky because I was uh, so much thinking about something positive happening to me and wanted to make it into this project. And all of a sudden, in 2016, I got invited to an international exhibition that was um, happening in London. And um, I said, okay, I'm just going to go. I went there, and from there, all the doors started to open to me.
2: That oh, that's amazing. Two
5: thousand and sixteen.
3: Yeah. Wow. So that's a relatively short time and I love now I kinda of understand you're very connected to nature in a lot of your work and everything. And I guess that's that marine biology or biology degree that kind of in the background there. You can kind of see it going into your work. Do you feel some of your past life influences your work now?
5: Yes, absolutely, uh, both marine biology and sometimes even the business world economy influences my work, but mostly economy, uh, mostly nature and marine biology when diving uh, in the water. You find so much peace down there, but in the same time, um, you kind of feel that you dive into the human mind. and You can explore a lot and i don't know if you did you ever dive in the water i have yeah uh-huh. so it's it's so it's so peaceful um right there right it's just so it's like a different world and those memories from down there in the ocean it always come back to me in a beautiful way. And I uh, I started to paint a lot about the ocean and with a lot of blues, and blue is very calming color. And also from the economic point of view, I realized that, hey, you know, this painting sells very well. <laughs> So uh um, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> read later that, in fact, uh, everything with water and ocean sells very well. Those are the number one paintings that usually sell. From landscape nice. category, for example, ocean sells the best. And uh, I love nature a lot, so the colors in California what's not to love i mean true,
2: always the, col-
5: the the light and the colors were amazing that's why in in Europe only provence has this type of light that we have here in california so that's why such a good art was done in the past in uh, provence in france and uh, right. the best light in the world for filming, for everything. It's here. That's why we have the uh, movie industry here.
3: uh, And talk about, how would you describe your style and process of art?
5: Well, um, I would say that my style is lyrical abstractionist with strong influences from the color field art movement. But I also use a balance between abstract with uh, figurative when I do natural environments and portraits. So when I do landscapes or flowers, or then I mix those two, like, abstract with figurative and the rest of the time it's lyrical abstraction is with a lot a lot of colors and the Mm. two main elements that you can find in my art is colors and light I play a lot with light but the way how I use the light on my canvases is making it with different textures from glitter so um, yeah I love that glitter aspect that's amazing (laughs) I think I'm the glitter girl (laughs) (laughs) Everything has glitter around me Sometimes even my dog has glitter on her
3: (laughs) Tends to get everywhere, that's for sure
5: (laughs) Yeah, I was just reading yesterday uh, um, Connotation between coronavirus and an artist who uses glitter If you have nine people painting and one of them paints with glitter How many will have glitter on them? So that's how coronavirus was explained to the artist. So it's like, yeah, actually more than nine. Even the dog has glitter. That's
3: a great analogy. <laughs> I love
5: that. Oh, that's yeah. very funny. <laughs> glitter is great for creating these playful, uh, playful lights, like even disco lights on the canvas. One of my collectors have uh, one of my paintings is called Aztec Sun, And that painting changes colors, like, I don't know, has like 20 different colors. Depends on the time of the day. Well, being the sun, it changes the colors based on the way how the sun moves on the sky. So that's my Mm. technique that I use. So glitter, it looks differently depends from what angle you check it out, you know. And um, if I use opalescent or fluorescent or different type of glitter colors mixed together, then um, when you look at the painting uh, front view, you see it in one color, and from the sides, you see different colors. So this is very fascinating. Unfortunately, no, I cannot really take good pictures of my paintings to show all the colors that they have, you know.
0: Yeah, I bet. But, um, very,
5: Other than that. The changes from the angle and everything else would be Four different pictures from four
3: different angles, right? When you photograph it, I can exactly.
5: Exactly. Yeah, that's still very
3: cool,
4: though.
5: I just finished now one painting that now I started to paint with nitrocellulose. And it's um, opalescent nitrocellulose. And um, I was trying to capture uh, that painting in the evening. It looks in one way and during the day in a different way. And I was like, wow, it's green, it's black. It's navy blue. It's pink. It's violet. I'm not really sure <laughs> what color that painting is. <laughs> but, uh, well, and then, doesn't that cellulose
3: point... kind of glow at night? Is that the right stuff I'm thinking of? That the I kind also of glow have... Also?
5: I also have one, the ones that glow at night. Yeah, some of them glow at night. Oh, uh, some of my paintings. I'm telling you, like some of my paintings, I have to take 20 pictures just to show all the way the, <laughs> you know. So I I, can I like imagine. to interact with my paintings and. Um, I love look- Lots. Lots of colors. A friend of mine was saying yesterday, "You are like a child. That when when you paint, you're like a child. You use a lot of colors. You if you look around with a lot of curiosity to see what's around you, and you think that with the glitter and the colors and the light, you can save the world. But you put a very strong message. Like it's a child with a very mature message on the on the painting." Um, and i was like oh i really like that yes yeah i do i do want to say the word.
3: there you go i love that well talk about painting now in this era of covid and black lives matter are you finding it more maybe darkening your pictures not in a literal sense but in the tone of them or do you feel you're trying to go more hopeful with them And more light into it.
5: I am a very optimistic person, and our job as artists is always to send out a message. So I think it's very, very important for us now to see the glass half full and Mm. um, send the good message out there. Now is the time for us to do a lot of work for Black Lives Matter, for the fact that people need more art and see that... Tomorrow it's going to be better, or next year it's going to be better. We're going to have hope. We have to be optimistic. At the beginning of this pandemic, we, I I was scared, like everyone else. But I right. created a piece. It's called The Art Must Go On. And on that piece, I put together pieces from Van Gogh, Vonch, Miro, Dali Michelangelo, Botticelli, and myself, and you can see on the cameras that there it's a lot of panic, of course, a lot of color and light, my two elements, but a lot of panic because I was panicking like everyone else you you are you have this fear of unknown, you know, but um at the same time, I was thinking, hey if all these people, all these artists in the past survived so many pandemics and plague and bubonic plague and, you know, all these other things, Spanish flu, and then we will be okay. That's what I wanted to show to the world, that right. people went through this in the past. We will be okay. We will go through this. Again, you know, regarding Black Lives Matter, is something that we as artists, we, we have a lot of work to do now. We have to send a strong message that the world has to change, become better, no extremists. And um, I was very busy this time. Actually, during this time, I was busier than before because I found so many sources of inspiration. And I painted right. every single day. And there were also a lot of projects online. And uh, as I said, the art must go on because it saves the world. The art is, I have a quote that I created. (laughs) Um, And I say, art is the definition of infinity. Because think about it. (laughs) I create something from that you can create something. Uh, A poet can create something. It's constantly going on and on and on.
3: I like that, yeah Very well said, I like that a lot Well we have to start
5: wrapping up Bianca, I could
3: talk to you forever Talk about some of your recent projects And once we're allowed to get out in the world again Where can uh, my listeners Find some of these great works
5: So one project that is dear to my heart is working with the underprivileged uh, children. Unfortunately, now we have to stop due to uh, the COVID situation, but um, at Union Mission are a lot of underprivileged children, Union Mission in Los Angeles on Skid Row. And what I want to do is art projects with them, discover the talent in them, pose and show their work to Los Angeles and try to get funds by selling their work and put these funds towards their um, college, college funds.
2: Ooh, that's a would great be idea. Surprised?
5: Yeah, it is. And you would be surprised when I ask all these kids, like, would you want the money now or to go towards college? And they, they all said college because college and education is their freedom to a better life. You know, ticket and yeah, uh, to a better life, ticket to that type of freedom. And um, other projects that I have is um, in Rome, I have an exhibition. It was postponed since March, but now it's going to be a live exhibition in Rome in September. It's organized by Musa Art Space, and the theme of this exhibition, I like it a lot, is Twin Genders. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. And this gallery is um, very well supported um, and endorsed by UNESCO in Italy. So this is definitely a good project that uh, United Nations UNESCO is supporting. Um, I participate at... um, International Festival of Street Art for first time in my life. I'm very excited. In my city, in Romania, in Timisoara, and my work's already started to be projected very big on the buildings there because Timisoara is the European cultural capital of the European Union in uh, 2021. So that's exciting right. because... Now people can see my works are big on the buildings, and probably next year I will just uh, travel there to participate to a few cultural events. And in
2: 2022,
5: I will have a solo exhibition in New York. So that's something that I'm starting to prepare for it because I will have to fill a whole entire gallery with my works and the galleries in Manhattan very well positioned. So a lot of projects. And I post everything online. I have a website, BiancaTurner.com. Um, but I'm very, very active with all of my projects on Instagram at BiancaTurnerArt and on Facebook at BiancaTurnerArt. And people can contact me via email, info at BiancaTurner.com. I would like to be involved in as many charity projects um, Donations of art for foundations. People can contact me. I work with um, different charity events here, Ashes of Hope, Heaven Heels for domestic violence. Uh, all type of foundations where I can help teach artistry for underprivileged people, children, anything. Please contact me. With all my heart, I will come and Um, Offer my support on my paintings
3: that is wonderful and your website is lovely twisted martinis is my favorite so far I think I love that uh, painting I think it's amazing so much great work out there like I said your use of color is just fantastic you're already just killing it in the award season the Leonardo da Vinci uh, Universal Artist of the Year Woman Art Award from the Musa International Art Space in Madrid. So you are on a roll, my friend. I'm so excited you were able to take the time to call in today.
5: Thank you so much. Thank you for this um, invitation. And I'm wishing you all the best.
3: Well, back at you. You are welcome anytime. Anytime you have a new exhibition or need to get the word out about some projects for your kids or for anything, you uh, reach out and we'll have you back on, okay?
5: Absolutely. Thank you.
3: All right. Stay on the line for me, Bianca.
5: We're going to play out a
3: little song here for you listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio
2: Network. Give me all you have, but I'm still brave. We can fight all-
3: That was Fly by Unsung Lily. All righty, guys and gals, that does it for this week's Left of Straight show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Big thanks to my guests today. Appreciate you, Jake Dean Taylor, our fabulous Friday fitness special correspondent. And thanks so much for coming on the show, comedian, funny man, Tyler Mead, and amazing artist, Bianca Turner. Again, we'll be here all next week, Monday through Friday, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.
0: With the Lucky Landslots, Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.